Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Promising Practices for Meeting the Behavioral Health Needs of Duly Eligible Older Adults. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on August 2, 2018. In this podcast, Sabrina Wanamaker, Clinical Manager at Absolute Total Care, provides the managed care perspective on meeting the behavioral health needs of duly eligible older adults. So we're going to hop right in. Um, Absolute Total Care, we really strive to make a difference in one person at a time by working to improve their health, their well-being, and those overall health outcomes by providing access to quality care as well as those community resources. And in doing such, we use a holistic person-centered approach to care management. And so with that, we're able to combine and address the physical, the behavioral, and the social determinants of health needs of our members. We have staff with specialized educational backgrounds, certifications, and actually full independent licensures in these various areas. But more importantly, our staff has those hands-on, boots-on-the-ground experience in working with the members prior to coming to work in a managed care. Next slide, please. So the barriers that you're going to see on this slide, they're not necessarily just they don't just apply to our older population, but they can often be exacerbated in working with the elderly in our population. And so a lot of times you will find families that are on fixed um, incomes, the housing may not be substantial as before, different levels of health literacy, homelessness has become a, a big issue as again, the income may have dropped and individuals may have been evicted from their homes or different situations. Um, social isolation as many others before me have uh, mentioned before, but also multiple providers. So as we get older, things start to change, things start to shift, and we may need specialists in different areas. And then that can also lead to polypharmacy. Just over the years, we're going different places to pick up different information and different medications. And so we'll talk about like how we kind of circumvent some of those barriers within our integrated care management program. Next slide, please. So our integrated care management program, there are three main focuses that we have. The first is going to be that of one central point of contact. We also have assessments and care plans that are individualized, but they're also shared with the primary care physician and our specialists and some of our specialty companies and where we bring everyone together to manage the care of that member. But also we continuously provide education and self-management training to our staff to help them to be able to give them the right tools to help our members establish not only realistic but achievable goals so that they can get to the best outcomes to improve that quality of life and overall just live their best life that they're able to live. Next slide, please. So some of our key components in our care management model is going to be, number one, that single point of contact. This single point of contact really helps us to facilitate that true coordination and integration of both the care the care of the member, but also the overall healthcare management system. And so in this, we have a primary case manager that communicates with any secondary case managers from different departments. They communicate with the primary care physicians, the community resources, any community providers, but also like different areas for like utilities and different barriers that our members may face. And so we have that primary point of contact, which really helps to provide just consistent and impactful messaging. So the member's getting the same message constantly on a regular basis and from that same individual, which helps them to build a rapport and relationship. Next slide, please. 
So some of our strategies for working with our adults, our older adults with behavioral health needs, first and foremost, we have a person-centered approach to care. So there is not a one-size-fits-all. The same goals are not going to apply to the same person, the same approach, and even the same type of conversation may not always work with every individual. And so being able to adjust your approach with that person. We utilize motivational interviewing as well, and we have those interdisciplinary care teams that com- that really combine everyone who was on this call before, so the social workers, the family caregivers, our psychiatrists, but also our medical professionals as well are also involved. With this piece, we utilize our um, comprehensive assessments, and we use what we call kind of a let's talk or a conversational approach. So tell me about your day. What was your dinner like last night? Who helped you to prepare that dinner? So person-centered thinking and motivational interviewing really looks at, you know, what's really happening in that person's life. And so it becomes more so of a conversation with the individual to find out what's happening. But also, and we use that conversation to develop those individual care plans, and we share those things with providers and the community teams as well. Next slide, please. So working with our older adults, we we try to get to and do face-to-face assessments. The face-to-face assessments gives us a different perspective where we're actually able to lay eyes on the home. So we go into the home to do a lot of these assessments so that we can see, is the home adequate? Is it safe? Do they have air conditioning? Do they have food? So do they have those basic level needs met? So going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So are those things being met? Because a lot not having those things can really exacerbate any behavioral health symptoms that they may be experiencing. Experiencing. And so we also, again, look at the functional status. So everything that Molly was talking about in those comprehensive assessments are taking place. With that, again, we use this to do that person-centered care planning. So getting what's not only um, important to the member based on their perception, but we also integrate any care gaps into that. So getting also what's important for the member to really be able to thrive in the community. Next slide, please. Another tool that we use is going to be initializing that caregiver involvement. Oftentimes, the support system just may be non-existent. Again, the family members may have uh, passed on. Um, family members may not know that the person actually needs help because a lot of times we're, we're very independent people. And so as we get older, we don't want to necessarily lose that independence. And so asking for help can be very difficult at times. And so we try our best to find out who supports you, what do they do for you, when was the last time they did this for you, and how often are they really and truly involved in your care. And so we move forward to getting that person's name and contact information and getting a release of information from them so that we can start having conversations with those caregivers to find out what else may be going on with the member that we're not able to see in that few hours of the assessment. So are they having any cognitive um, cognitive deficits that we can't see but that that caregiver may be able to see on a day-to-day basis? So they may be in a good mood right now, but are they experiencing more depression symptoms when we're not around? And so by getting the release of information to have that conversation, we get a clearer picture of what's happening on the day-to-day basis with our members. And if the support system is just non-existent at all, we do our very best to find those resources to help to build that support system. And we'll talk a little bit more about um, getting around some of those barriers also. Next slide, please. 
So when we're doing these assessments, again, we utilize motivational interviewing, and it's really about getting that member engaged in the conversation and eliciting the change thought, so getting them to think differently or even consider the possibilities of what life could be like and how to move forward, and getting, again, their own motivation for making that change. Someone wanting to feel better or, you know, kind of manage their depression symptoms, while we may give them all of the medical terminology and, you know, you'll feel better, you'll do this, and you'll it'll increase your energy, they may not really care about that. But being able to really get up and play with their grandchildren or to get up and go to the grocery store, the things that are important to them are what we're looking for. And so those, when you're using motivational interviewing, you're looking for that client's own motivation to move towards positive change. And we also, again, just take into consideration the things with aging, so loss of hearing and vision loss, but also decreased mobility. But mainly when you're thinking with uh, adults with behavioral health needs, you're looking for those inconsistencies and any um, deficits in their cognitive functioning so that we may be able to help support them in the best ways that we can. Next slide, please. So what makes motivational interviewing really different from that traditional approach is it's really more so of a conversation and a collaboration. That member is the expert on their self, their life. They know the ins and outs. They know how they function throughout the day. As professionals, we may be the expert in the physical and the behavioral health, but that person can give us insight into what really happens in their day. And so by creating this collaborative conversation, we're again able to give the member a sense of autonomy because they're making decisions. They're giving us input and insight into what's going on in their life. And it really is and truly more member-focused than interviewer-focused. It's about what that member needs. It's about what is going to help them, again, to live their best life. It's not necessarily about the interviewer. It's not about checking boxes and just getting through the assessment to get things done. It's really about finding out what this member needs. Do they have food in the house right now? Are they able to um, get up and down from the bed? Are they are there different stories about what's happening? So are there memory deficits that may be happening right in front of us that we may not be paying attention to? So sometimes even circling back to another question for clarification, just to kind of see if we're getting the same types of responses. Next slide, please. So some additional strategies for um, caring for for caring for individuals with uh, behavioral health needs. So first and foremost, in order to get anywhere, we have to build that trust. And we build trust by just being consistent with our communication and doing what we said we were going to do when we were going to do it. And so again, and then just exploring what's important to that member and not casting that to the side. So if the person wants to be able to go to their grandson's baseball game, that's what's important to that person. So making sure that we just don't cast that aside as being um, something that's minute, but it's extremely important to them. And by focusing on that with our members, we can kind of get them to buy into the things that they may also need to focus on to, again, be able to get to where they need to be with their physical health and managing their behavioral health diagnosis. We try to get, again, provider involvement is going to be one of our second strategies. So our care plans that we create um, are actually shared with our primary care physicians. The primary care physicians are invited to our integrated care teams, as well as other providers that are within the community working with the member and family caregivers are invited as well. And our case managers may actually accompany our older adults to their appointments to help them to be able to start those conversations or to gain understanding of what may be happening with their diagnosis and those things in their life. 
we again help to develop that support network. And oftentimes that support network, again, doesn't look like just family. It may be a neighbor. It may be Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous groups within the community or peer support groups based on diagnostic, uh, specific diagnosis. Next slide, please. Finding appropriate providers. And so with that, Get the slide. So we're on slide, okay, slide 51, you're correct. <laughs> Um, so the lack, having lack of immediate support. So again, getting that family involvement and also helping to find local wraparound services within the community. So what else does that member needs to really kind of envelope them and to kind of surround them with the care that they need to be consistent and to be um, on top of their care. And so our overall goal is self-management for the person. We look into home improvement grants and also our local churches and food banks and finding out if the if the local area has utility assistance, so senior protection programs. Here in South Carolina, they have something called white flag assistance um, with different utility companies that prevents the electricity from being turned off in the summertime and in the wintertime and different times of the year and because they have different conditions and or limited income. So finding out if there are senior protection programs with the utility, so again, they are able to manage those day-to-day -day life things and have those basic needs met that um, can oftentimes, if they're not met, exacerbate their behavioral health. Health literacy, do they understand the terminology that is applied to their actual condition, or are they regurgitating terms? So hallucination, do they, do they really understand what a hallucination is? Not only can you see things that others may not see, but do they know that a hallucination can also be auditory or tactile? So do they understand the full terminology and being able to break it down in a way that they can actually um, understand those words that may be applied? So delusions and hallucinations are often times in suicidality. What does that really mean? I'm not suicidal. I don't have a gun in my hand. But do they understand that also it could mean I just don't want to live anymore. I feel like I'm a burden and it would be easier if I was not here. So understanding and helping our members to really understand the different terminology associated with their health conditions. Next slide, please. So over, when overcoming barriers, we look at assisting them with finding appropriate providers and specialists. And so do they need a psychiatrist or a therapist? Which one would be best fitting for the situation and help and, you know, making sure we're getting them to a psychiatrist to be able to manage those medications that they need. But also referrals to home health and community long-term care if they need those things as well to help support that physical health side. Again, you have the transportation, and a lot of times we we help to – find different charts so we create those different charts a checklist when it comes to scheduling transportation so if i have an appointment on thursday i need to make sure my transportation is scheduled by monday or by the previous friday and our again our overall goal is just self-management and support so giving disease specific information but helping our members to be able to get to a point where they are able to self-manage their conditions next slide please So we're going to uh, kind of talk about Leroy for a second. Leroy is a 72-year-old. Um, he turned 72 recently, um, Medicare, and he's a duly eligible adult. He has about 30 years of history of substance use and behavioral health admissions. Initially, he was just unresponsive to uh, case management, unresponsive to pretty much anything that was going to intervene in his normal and what he had created as his normal everyday life. 
He had a family friend who manages his finances and allowed him to live in a box truck on the property, but he actually ended up getting evicted by that particular family friend for a while. And he, you know, the friend has kind of, he let them kind of go back and forth a little bit. But Leroy had like no coordinated care, no behavioral health providers, no consistent primary care physician, no, just no overall support system in any area. So dealing with his, um, the community supports, family, and provider supports. And he was just in, just resistant to kind of moving forward and moving in a positive direction. Next slide, please. So it was extremely hard to get Leroy engaged in case management, but on one of his provider visits, he happened to leave that friend's number with the provider. And so when we can't get the member on the number we have, we outreach to any providers that um, may have new claims with the member. And so we called this provider, and they were able to give us the friend's number. And we did a conference call with, this, with the friend and Leroy and was able to get him to agree to at least meet with our case managers. And so they met with him. They went and they actually did a home visit and went out to this site and were able to kind of see the box truck and, you know, worst conditions that you can think of, squirrels, different types of animals, um, the smells. And again, Leroy, is he's technically homeless, but his friend is able to kind of keep an eye on him but not allow him to live in the home because it's just he's really unpredictable with his substance abuse and not wanting to cause danger to other members in his family. And so uh, we talked with Leroy about what was really important to him. And so being able to just be on his own and stand on his own two feet or some of the things that he has mentioned before. And so we got Leroy uh, on a bus from Charleston, South Carolina, up to Columbia and got him into the Transitions Homeless Shelter. And there's a transitional program for substance abuse and also mental health. Um, and in the midst of that, Libra was doing well for a while and then had a disagreement with someone and hopped the bus back to Charleston. And he kind of fell off the grid for a while. And so our case managers, you know, started back calling that family friend, and we were able again to contact Leroy. And unfortunately, he did relapse. He ended up using cocaine again. And so, um, but the good thing is Leroy wants better. So his thinking has actually changed. And because of the relationship he's developed with the case managers, he has actually decided to return to Columbia. And our case managers went to go see him today to help to get him a bed in the home homeless shelter here, but also to help get him back on that transitional program list. But Leroy is now thinking differently and thinking about what his life really and truly could be. And so I think that's a great success is that his his changing is his thinking is changing about his situation and that he now reaches out to our case managers when he's in trouble and when he needs help. Last slide please. And so by utilizing and really implementing the integrated care model, we have actually been able to um, just reduce the duplication of phone calls and follow-up. Leroy has this one, he has one contact person who is his main point of contact. And so with that, we've able to we've been able to get better outcomes for him. Being at the shelter, he will have access to behavioral health providers that actually have local offices there. There's our drug and alcohol treatment program that is also located there. So Leroy is getting connected to providers as we speak and being able, again, to help with the coordination of services to provide that maximum support for his wellness and his autonomy. And um, and just overall helping to reduce that stigma when it comes to behavioral health because now he actually wants help. He doesn't feel like he's alone in this situation and that he now knows that there are others who have been where he is and are now doing well. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Loon Group 
and is supported through the Medicare-Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations in care models. To learn more about our current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.